if a company strives to create a psychologically safe space, that tells me a lot about their senior management. Now, do they implement that across the board with every manager? No. So Google sponsored this the study called Project Aristotle, which looked at their their what made up their highest performing teams. And psychological safety was one, was the most important element in that research. However, I have friends that work at Google and their boss does not practice psychological safety. <laughs> so just, be, you know, but it's a start. If the company doesn't strive to create a psychological safe place, then there's going to be no or very few managers who actually implement this. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest uh, today is a Silicon Valley resident who has researched the leadership practices at the region's highest performing companies, and she's captured her takeaways in her book, Leadership Lessons from Silicon Valley. And quite incredibly and very impressively, that's one of just 28 books she's authored, and she's also found the time to appear on shows like The Opera Winfrey Show and 60 Minutes, as well as appearing in media all around the world. Uh, today, I really wanted to hone in on one of the key areas that she discusses in Leadership Lessons from Silicon Valley, because it's something I heard her talk about at a conference recently, uh, and it struck me as something that we we we've probably touched on a little bit in in the connected leadership podcast but we've not explored in depth and given the fact that i talk a lot about vulnerability and vulnerable leadership it's something that we should explore and this is the right person to talk to about it so the topic is psychological safety uh, and my guest today is rebecca morgan so rebecca welcome to the connected leadership podcast thanks for joining me well thank you it's a delight and an honor to be interviewed by you well, I, 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 if you've been interviewed by Oprah Winfrey and and various other luminaries, I, 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 I think that I can safely say you can uh, you can welcome the opportunity. But I'm not sure honoured is the right word. We're honoured by your presence. Um, <laughs> let, let's get into this topic of psychological safety because, as I said, it it's something I've been talking about vulnerability now for six years it, it's a key area I've written a book on the topic uh, and it's a really important uh, area in the workplace that's becoming uh, the word du jour uh, to a large degree uh, you know there's a lot of focus on uh, creating that space for people to be vulnerable um, but we haven't really talked about psychological safety the culture that allows people to be vulnerable uh, on the podcast so when you talk about psychological safety, and it is a chapter in your book, and it's something you've done research on, what do you mean by it? And why is it so important in the workplace? Well, I'll give you my definition, and then I'll give you Dr. Amy Edmondson's definition, who's the coiner of the term, I don't know, it's coiner of verb, anyway, um, and, uh, and her original research would spawn this whole area of psychological safety. So for me, it's just an individual's perception that a team is safe for risk-taking. So you are comfortable pushing back on the prevailing uh, opinions or commentary, or you're, even if your boss suggests something that you think is not the wisest, you're, you're comfortable pushing back without fear of ramifications. So Dr. Edmondson says it's a team climate 
characterized by interpersonal trust and mutual respect in which people are comfortable being themselves. And we can talk about that last piece um, if you want later on or now, whenever. Uh, but really, it's it's this feeling that you can speak up with a a different opinion, a different approach and not feel you're going to be ostracized or penalized in any way. Well, let's talk about that 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 phrase um, that you used, uh, people being comfortable being themselves. Let's talk about that now. And I probably want to dig into this from more than one angle. And regular listeners to the Connected Leadership podcast will know that I tend to ask convoluted questions that are six in one. I'm going to stop myself doing that now. So I'm going to try and break it down. My challenge when I do that is you say something else really interesting and I go on a different tangent. But let's just see how we go. So Let's just talk from a positive aspect about people being comfortable being themselves. And I can certainly relate to that fear of speaking out against your boss, the fear of challenging the prevailing narrative. I started my career in the, the English civil service. And, and trust me, you're not encouraged to, to speak against the prevailing narrative there, as I found to my cost at the time. Do you think that we are moving as a society, as a culture, towards a place where people can speak up um, more often? And do you think that leaders generally are in a place where they welcome being challenged? Or, or is the is the natural inclination to get defensive and aggressive straight away? That is a complex question. So um, That was the simple I'm... version. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think generally society has become more forthcoming and that is not always good in society in in both in work and society i think what's been lost is the art of finesse and the art of how do you put we'll use the term pushback how do you disagree agreeably how do you how are you diplomatic in how you do this. So when you say the you know the boss may get defensive or it so much of it is is determined by how it is phrased. So if I'm going to push back on a a concept a discussion that everybody else in the room seems to be going in one direction and I'm thinking oh man we're going to go off a cliff if we go in that direction then I've learned to say things like I'd like to offer a, a, a divergent a, a different opinion or would you be open to a different perspective? Or, you know, just broaching it that way rather than this is idiotic, you know, or what a stupid idea, which unfortunately is what society has moved toward is there's no filters whatsoever in before they speak or write in terms of Twitter or Instagram. So I, um, I have what I call a, an authenticity or an honesty continuum because I believe it's a continuum that on one end, we're very filtered and we don't speak up, especially if it's our boss saying something. And the detriment to that is that, yeah, you could waste a lot of time and money or go off a cliff because nobody's willing to say, excuse me, hello, let's make sure we cover this. On the other under the spectrum is is filtered where you, um, let's see, one is, this was filtered and this one, the other one is unfiltered where you just, whatever goes through your mind, you speak out without waiting a nanosecond to think, how can I phrase this in a way that is most likely to be positively received? So all of this is in the, the realm of, yes, you need to be comfortable speaking up and you need to have the skills 
to know how to do that in a way that it's more likely to be heard. I, I love the phrase disagree agreeably. Uh, we have the, the number one podcast in the UK in recent months has been uh, the uh, two senior politicians. I'm trying to think of the rest is politics. I was trying to think of the name of the podcast, uh, not the Connected Leadership podcast. Unfortunately, we're just behind. Uh, but the rest is politics, which is two uh, very well known senior pol politicians in the UK from either side of the aisle. So you've got a former conservative minister who stood for the leadership against Boris Johnson. And you've got um, Tony Blair's former spin doctor, uh, Alistair Campbell uh, from the Labour Party. And uh, to be honest, they probably agree on more than they disagree with these days. You know, uh, Rory Stewart is not really in tune with the modern day Conservative Party. Um, but they talk about disagreeing agreeably. And I think it's something in a world where we are doing the exact opposite more and more often. It's something we need to, to get a handle on a lot more. To do so, I like uh, what I picked out from what you said there is this pause. This take a moment and reflect before you phrase your counter opinion in the way that's not going to uh, be, be received disagreeably. Is there a challenge in a competitive, high performing team that if you take that time to phrase and think through process and phrase what you're going to say, that someone else is going to jump in and you can't get into the conversation. And is that type of environment going to make it harder for people really to think before they speak? Well, it goes back to if the team has a psychological safety environment, then that's something you could actually put forth is, and there are some styles of people that just need a second to formulate their thoughts, to feel articulate. In fact, I, I do that often, even though I'm quick to jump in, but I, before I raise my hand at a conference or something, I think through how am I going to say this so that it's as concise and articulate as possible. So if I, if you and I were on a team with other people, then in one of our team meetings where we're talking about our processes, maybe at a, like at a retreat, then I would, I would say, you know, guys, I often have a thought, but it just, you know, that's relevant to our discussion, but I need just a second to articulate that. So when we're in those heated discussions where we're all popping ideas, I'm going to just jump in and say, hold on just a second. I have an idea. Give me just a minute, you know, just five seconds to articulate. So I'm reserving my place in line, in other words, <laughs> with with a, con a phrase that doesn't take any of my thought processing power. And in that few seconds, I'm articulating my comment. So really, and this is one of those tangents I was talking about, So, because I still want to keep on that, that go back to that question of being bringing your your full self, your real self to, to, to the workplace. Um, but, but picking up on this thread, I wrote a blog recently for Psychology Today about what extroverts could learn from introverts in terms of building relationships. And I think that whenever I... I, I interview people on this topic. So I'm not an expert on, on personality styles in that sense, but teaching what I teach, I have to, I have to address that topic quite frequently because a lot of introverts will ask questions. You know, how do I go about this? Um, one of the things in creating a psychologically safe culture in an organization or in a team has to be allowing for different personality styles, doesn't it? And, and how do you, 
how do you address that from the beginning and create that space where extroverts can flourish jumping in and being full ebullient and full of energy and, and and taking the floor but create that space for introverts to do what you've just said and say okay i i want a moment just to process so when I work with my client teams, I often start with an assessment that helps them look at their own style and then look at the other styles. And then they come away with not only an awareness, but an appreciation for what that opposite style brings to the party. And often then we come up with some group agreements, some ground rules uh, where um, like like I, when I'm facilitating meetings and there's extroverts jumping in all the time and say, look, you know what, guys, we're going to go to you raise your hand because if you, if, if the, then the introverts are never going to get airtime if you're jo always jumping in and, and talking over them. So you got to raise your hand and I'll call on people rather than just jumping forward. And that's so hard for the extroverts. <laughs> so hard, but the, <laughs> The interviewers appreciate it so much because they have time to share their ideas. And I guess it's that what's become a bit of a cliched approach of throwing the ball around a team. And if you can only speak if you're holding it, um, it is another technique that can work quite well for that. Um, okay, let's go back to, to my follow-up question about bringing your, your personal self uh, into the workplace because there was an editorial uh, over the I think it was this month in a UK current affairs magazine that challenged this idea about being authentic in the workplace so you always get some pushback on on new ideas like this and they said that you know we should have our work selves and we should have our home selves and we shouldn't mix the two so much and we don't want to hear all your vulnerabilities and we don't want to know the whole you we just want to see you good at doing your job and know you know and focusing on that how would you respond to, to that approach do you think there's some validity isn't there a show now called severance that does that exact same there is thing? yes a very good very good and very frightening series yes <laughs> so i i again think of it as a continuum uh, that there are appropriate ways to bring your whole self to work so i do stand-up comedy as you know and so if i were to and in stand-up comedy you can get away with jokes that are totally inappropriate at work. Yeah. But if I don't have that filter to know what's appropriate at work, then am I, you know, am I bringing my full self? I'm bringing a version of my full self by being able to crack jokes or whatever. But I, I have the appropriateness filter on of saying, you know, this was okay in the club, but it's not okay around the, the meeting table. So I think that's true for any of bring our full self. So if I was a, you know, a festinato of, of tap dancing and I bring my tap shoes and tap down the hallway and I'm excited and I'm energized and I'm driving my colleagues crazy. <laughs> so, so that is an example of, you know, you don't, you bring a version of your full self. And often, sometimes that other dimension really adds some richness to the organization, to the ideas that you bring forward, because you're bringing a totally different um, perspective or life experience than others have. So not to poo-poo it, but just to be mindful of appropriateness, I think. I mean, we've, we've had a guest on the podcast who's a very successful entrepreneur in the UK who discovered burlesque dancing, and she's brought that heart and soul into her business. 
and it's defined her. And and I think if you ask her, she'd say it's freed her to to be more creative and to achieve more in that place. And, and I think you know the, the I, I have a philosophy that. I try not to do anything in any part of my life that would embarrass me in another part of my life. And that gives me that freedom uh, to, you know, I'm, I'm being authentic wherever I am. And I think she would probably argue the same thing. It's easy when you own the business uh, exactly. than when you work for some, someone else. So if, if you're a, a leader and you want to encourage people to bring their full selves and bring that diversity, that cognitive diversity, that, that creativity, but keep it appropriate. How do you create the, the environment that allows your team to do that, but know where the line is? That's a good question. I, I think part of the psychological safety is if I were to bring my stand up and you were, I was reporting to you and I had something that was either on the line or even cross the line that we would have a, a comfortable enough relationship that you would come to me and not be, um, judgmental or, you know, not putting down just saying, Hey, you know, Rebecca, you said that the other day and that, yeah, that's kind of, kind of right on the line. So just, just be mindful because we don't, we don't know sometimes where those lines are. Okay. So, so picking up on that point, I often talk, I've got my, and I've shared this on the podcast before, I've got my Goldilocks and the three bears story where I'm Goldilocks. Um, but I talk about my first job. Uh, my first permanent role where I had three bosses and the first one was very cold and very directive told me what to do pick me up on anything and there was no warmth in that relationship as well uh, at all and if you want to talk about psychological safety I didn't feel it at all I wouldn't feel comfortable second guessing him the second was too hot, too warm. You know, he was cuddly, he was fuzzy, but we didn't take him seriously. We didn't necessarily respect him. Uh, and then the third was just right, where you could be his mate, you could be his friend, but he would come down on you if he needed to. How, as a leader, how do we build those relationships with our team where we are just right, where we can be their friend, we can have that adult conversation with them, um, but we keep things appropriate in the right place. I think it goes back to a few minutes ago, we were talking about understanding different people's needs. And so in your example that, you know, one boss could have been all three of those to three different people, depending on what their needs are. So if they, if somebody wanted somebody more distant and just very businesslike, if that was their, how their style of producing the highest quality, then you can be a chameleon. Am I saying you're going to be somebody totally different to, than who you are? Absolutely not. But within all of us, we have a range of behaviors. And so just being conscious of this is how this person works best. I'm going to make sure I'm very businesslike. I don't ask them about their, you know, what they did over the weekend. They don't, they don't care. They're there to do the business, get the highest job done. And then the second one, yes, maybe I would talk about their family or ask them because that's how they resonate. So it's, um, it's very much being willing to shift once you understand somebody else's needs and then checking in with them and saying, you know, once a month or once a quarter, how, how are we working? Is there anything I could do differently to help you produce your best? Andy's new book, Just Ask, Why Seeking Support is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, 
It is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now, or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. So creating a psychologically safe space is not a, a one size fits all. You, you have to know the needs of each of your, your members of your team. Yes, which I think is what good leaders do anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you okay. Do it, you do it though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, how would we how would we recognize a psychologically safe culture? You say you've 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 observed, you've studied, you've researched uh, various companies across Silicon Valley. How would you? Which ones would you look at and say they're doing this well? And how do you recognize that? And maybe you don't want to name names of the ones that aren't doing it so well. But what are some of the traits you've seen where you go, this isn't a safe space? So first of all, I think if a company strives to create a psychologically safe space, that tells me a lot about their senior management. Now, do they implement that across the board with every manager? No. So Google sponsored this the study called Project Aristotle, which looked at their their what made up their highest performing teams. And psychological safety was one, was the most important element in that research. However, I have friends that work at Google and their boss does not practice psychological safety. <laughs> so just be, you know, but it's a start. If the company doesn't strive to create a psychological safe place, then there's going to be no or very few managers who actually implement this. So I would say that's the first part. Is that part of their lexicon? Is it part of their ongoing processes? Um, and then if, if like if I'm consulting with them or working with them and I watch them have a meeting or even in the meetings I have, how comfortable are people with pushing back on each other and on me, you know, disagreeing agreeably, how, how comfortable generally are people doing that? Or especially if there's someone of, um, you know, at the upper level, are they comfortable saying, Hmm, I have a different perspective or, you know, just putting forth a different idea. Also admitting mistakes. And this is, was one of the keys in the project Aristotle findings was the manager when the manager admitted making mistakes, then that gave permission to other people to not only make mistakes and not that they would be cavalier in making mistakes, but making mistakes in trying new things and pushing the envelope or being innovative, that we're not going to be 100% successful at any of that. So if the manager admits to making mistakes, that frees up the others to not only try new things, but to admit it for themselves. And this was in Dr. Edmondson's original research in the late 90s, she studied hospitals. And the ones that admitted, the, the doctors and nurses, the medical professionals who admitted to making a mistake in a process had much higher outcomes in terms of um, patient wellness, as well as lower turnover, uh, you know, lower absenteeism, et cetera, other measures that we look at. They, they, and they, because they were learning from each other, that was why it was okay to make mistakes, or to share mistakes, not to make mistakes, but just share mistakes within the group, because then they would learn, oh, I need to make sure I don't do that in the future. And so those are a one of, one of the examples I found when I wrote Just Ask was that there are companies that are having fail fests, where they sit down and they say, okay, what's gone wrong 
on this project? What's gone wrong in the last month and what can we learn from it? Is that something that you saw at Google or other companies uh, and anywhere where they're doing that particularly well? Yeah, well, they they do um, after incident reports or after, I forget what the actual word is, but I guess this is common in the military too, where after action, I think it's called. Yeah. Uh, and then some, I heard a concept recently that's, uh, they call them pre-mortems. And they they look at the project they're about to launch and they dig in and say, okay, if some if it were to go south, what would be some of the causes? What would be some of the reasons it might go south? So they're looking, projecting ahead as if there is going to be some failure, but then planning for that in advance. I thought that was a really interesting concept. Yeah, we, we, we hear the term planning for failure. I like pre-mortem. I think that that makes it stand out a little bit more. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the military. Next week's podcast is an interview with a former Red Arrow pilot, and it's exactly what they did. Um, they would get together after uh, every event and say, okay, what do we need to learn from that? Every mission, you know, what what can we do better? Not spending too much time on it, which is interesting as well, but that's that's coming uh, n- uh, next week. Um, but yeah, this this whole concept of fail fest and owning failure and owning mistakes, I think goes to the heart of psychological safety, creating that space where it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to do things uh, imperfectly as long as you learn from it, as long as you own it. So, so that's, that's key. Um, uh, in your book, you share a survey where 82% of LinkedIn employees uh, stated that they feel they can be their authentic selves without fear of, of different treatment. That's that's a very high figure. Um, so so there's there's a, a, a in my own style. There's a two layered question here. How did LinkedIn get to that space where they have such a, a majority of their employees who feel safe there? Uh, and what's the impact of that in terms of performance, in terms of recruitment, in terms of retention? So, uh, really, the answer to the first part is what we've been talking about. It's just the consciousness making it part of the conversation on a regular basis. Um, if if a manager or individual contributor behaves in a way that that gets in the way of that psychological safety, then they're counseled. You know, they're coached on that doesn't work here, et cetera. Um, And I don't have the data for LinkedIn in terms of retention and absenteeism, et cetera, but I do have one piece of data that Google provided and it was with their sales team, sales teams. And they found that um, of those who were determined to be in a psychologically unsafe environment, they they were 19% off their target. So they didn't even make their target numbers versus the teams that were deemed to be psychologically safe had a 17% increase over their targets. So that's pretty substantive in especially a Google environment where they're dealing with so much money. And it's interesting that it's in the sales environment because I, I worked in sales for 10 years and they don't tend to be the most psychologically safe environments traditionally. It's a very, certainly in the UK, and I would imagine in the US too, I mean, I've, having watched Mad Men, um, it, it's quite an alpha male culture, which it, it doesn't necessarily equate with um, psychological safety. Maybe we can go on and explore that. Um, but but do, do you find that, that you, you'll get different results in terms of how safe a space is depending on the different 
um, nature of the of the team, the organisation. If it's a, a finance or an HR team, it might be more safe. If it's a sales team, less so and so forth. You know, I have not seen any data that, that delineates that. Um, it seems to be pretty cross cross industry from what I've been reading. Yeah. And gender and generation, are there any factors there which make a difference? Again, I haven't seen any uh, data on that. I will tell you that when Google launched their Project Aristotle, they, um, they put forth their theories of what would make a difference. That included things like um, education level, gender, age, uh, you know, there were like 20 or 30 factors that they thought would make a difference. And none of them, really, none of their, their guest um, uh, qualities made, made any difference whatsoever. It was so that they studied fifth, over 1500 teams across the world. And uh, it, you know, had nothing to do with the, those sort of demographics. It had to do with the psychological safety, the vulnerability of the manager, the openness, the willingness to share. And and to your point that you brought up earlier, it doesn't mean that every day you come in and you share that you just had a fight with your spouse and, you know, your kid isn't doing well in school. And, you know, that it doesn't need to go that far. But if it's something that affects their work. So during the pandemic, I during the shutdowns, I interviewed senior people to find out what they were doing and what its effect was. And the, one of the key things was in their either daily or weekly one-on-ones with people, they would just say, not how you doing as a, as a throwaway, but they'd go, no, Andy, how are you really doing? Is there anything that I could do that could lighten your load or make your job easier? And, and one guy shared that he had a staff member that had three kids that they were homeschooling and they're, they're the both the spouses were working from home but they only had two devices i think and so the boss said you know how are you really doing and they said oh you know scheduling time on the devices is just crazy he said well we've got some ipads in the drawer here why don't you come pick them up and and everybody can have their own device so just that willingness to ask beyond the trite how you doing it's um how 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 are you and how you're doing is 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 one of my bugbears as a question uh and uh dr ivan meisner um introduced me when i interviewed him for just ask to semantic differential questioning which is what you're you're outlining there you know so how are you no really how are you well how are you coping with this and when you ask the third time particularly people really open up and it shows that you're genuinely interested and it mo- you can move from um a, a, a closed question how are you doing yeah i'm fine to an open question how are you coping with lockdown was the example i used a lot obviously over that period but it might be any any range of things so you know i've mentioned a few times that your book is about leadership lessons from silicon valley that's where you're based those are the the, the companies you've studied you've mentioned google we've talked about linkedin which are obviously the tech companies that we associate with silicon valley do you think that there is a cultural difference in this approach to psychological safety between those more modern uh, culture tech companies and let's say that the the old school traditional businesses like wall street banks you know, I think psychological safety is psychological safety. I think there will be some 
tweaks depending upon the industry. So going back to the, you know, bringing your full self and your authentic self. And if I'm working in a very conservative environment, say I'm, you know, a bank VP or something, I'm probably not going to come in with purple hair. I mean, I could, depending on, depending on that specific situation, but there are certain norms that industries sort of have put forward. Now, those are loosening and broadening, I would say. Uh, but, um, you know, again, it's back to appropriateness for the, the situation. But do you think that vulnerability from leaders is, is more readily accepted and expected in a tech environment uh, to a bank or, or are we, do we have high, do I have higher expectations of the tech world than is actually um, <laughs> realistic? Well, it is very uh, tolerant. It seems it's very embracing and very um, accepting, shall we say. Um, but I don't think it's limited to tech. And I think that other industries that might not be that way can tweak a bit, can can broaden their their comfort zones a bit. Because we're I think we're finding this with especially the younger generations, that they're pretty much demanding that we embrace their values. And a lot of their values are great. So that's this whole you know, work from anywhere movement and people not yeah. wanting to go back in the office and wanting to work from Tahiti or Indonesia or wherever they want to work from. And and companies are are forced to accept this. And I, well, I don't think that's a bad thing. Go ahead. Uh, that's a very good point uh, because, you know, we've seen what's happened on university campuses over the last few years with trigger warnings on texts and uh, before lectures and talks and so forth. Are you seeing that start to come into the workplace as well? Because obviously that's going to drive a demand uh, for, for uh, psychological safe spaces. And, and is there going to be a backlash or is there a backlash from the traditionalists? Because there is in the in the media to, to what's happening on university campuses. I don't know whether that's happening away from those commentators in the media. I haven't seen trigger warnings, and that doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means that I haven't seen them. I have seen that people seem to be more... Uh, how do I say this? Um, more sensitive to interpreting what I consider pretty benign statements as offensive. Hmm. So I think that that can be a challenge if there's not a psychologically safe environment. So if, again, if I say something that you think, oh, that, that didn't land right with me. If you don't have the comfort to come to me and say that directly, then you're going to go to HR. They're going to investigate. It's a he said, she said, you know. So this whole psychological safety, if it's done well, it empowers those two people to have that conversation without engaging other people and making it blow out of proportion. Which is a great selling point for, for, for that culture. If we didn't need one anyway, it's, uh, uh, or if we didn't have one anyway, then it certainly does that. So uh, one other question that, that sort of when, when I was 
thinking about this topic and I was trying to think about what type of challenges leaders would have in trying to embrace this type of culture and bring that psychological safe space in is that not everyone's necessarily going to get on board. And if you're a team leader and you sit and have that conversation and say, okay, I want to create a space where we can challenge each other. I want to create a space where we can have open conversations. The chances are you're going to have someone who pushes back. They're either going to push back because they just don't embrace that culture at all and they they keep their ideas to themselves. They are the one that goes to HR rather than have that difficult conversation or they're going to push back and say that's a waste of time and that's rubbish and they're not going to go with the flow. How do you handle that situation and take people with you on the journey if they start out in a very different place? I think it has to come back to that one-on-one conversation with them, finding out what is going on with them that makes them resistant to this concept. And maybe they think it's just touchy-feely California stuff, you know, it really doesn't apply to us in the whatever industry. Um, And I think once they see the value, then they're more willing to shift. Um, You know, change is hard for almost everybody. And if you're asking someone who is very um, direct and blunt, perhaps, and and you're asking them to pause a moment before they blurt something out, that's a whole, you know, that's a lot of work for them. And they're going, why do I need to do this? Why doesn't the other person just not get offended? I should be able to say whatever I want. And it's their problem because they're getting offended rather than seeing that their words, you know, can, can cause some upset, even if they didn't intend that. You've got um, a psychological safety survey, haven't you, where people can find out really where the culture is. Can you tell us a little bit about that and where people can find it? So it's uh, if you go to RebeccaMorgan.com at the very bottom of the page, it's there's a link to the psychological safety survey and it's free and anybody can take it. And it's 10 questions and there's a scale on each question that asks you. 10 specific questions about your current team and how psychologically safe you feel on that team. When I do this in my keynotes, I often will give this survey just to see where people are. um, And they get to, on a scale of, you know, they get scored. And if they're in the lower like quadrant, then I say, probably time to look for a new job. (laughs) Because, (laughs) Because if you're not feeling psychological safe, you're not contributing at your best. You're not you're not being able to produce the high quality results that you want because you're, you're, you're holding back, you know, you're, you're um, not saying things, ideas that you think would be improved, could cause improvements because you're afraid of being shot down or some sort of repercussions. Yeah, that makes uh, perfect sense. And I, I use similar surveys in my work as well. And I think it really helps before you address anything like this, you think, you know, where you're at with something. Um, but, those questions are designed to 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 uncover some blind spots so a great place to start uh rebecca it's an important topic i think it's something we should probably have addressed uh on on this podcast much sooner i'm really glad we met and had that conversation soon as you mentioned it at that event i thought that's something we need to cover on the podcast so i'm very grateful and honored to have you uh, on the connected leadership podcast thank you very much for joining us thank you andy <laughs> 
Thank you so much to Rebecca for joining us. I think if, if I take one thing away from our conversation, uh, and it really does tie in with a lot of what I say about professional relationships and building the right relationships, it comes down to individual conversations and getting to know people and know where they're at. You know, I always talk about step into other people's shoes. Uh, and, and if you do that, you're going to create a safe environment for both of you. From my experience going way back when to when I was in a management position, it's not always going to be easy and there's going to be people that push back. Um, but persevere and just have those individual conversations with them and I think it will make a difference. So check out um, RebeccaMorgan.com. Uh, you can download the chapter I was talking about um, also at the foot of that page um, and, and take out take that psychological safety survey. So well worth doing that just if you want to dig deeper into this topic as i trailed very delicately during our conversation uh next week's guest on the uh, connected leadership podcast is dan lowes dan was a fighter pilot for 16 years last three years of those he was with britain's famous acrobatic troop or aerobatic troop not acrobatic aerobatic troop the red arrows famous the world over uh, and so we got some great stories from dan and lessons on performing performing at the highest level whoever you're in front of whether it's the queen or whether it's a village fate uh, on on building trust a wonderful uh, section on, on how they build trust so that they can go and perform these amazing feats with a tiny margin for error and devastating consequences if you get it wrong but they trust everyone around them so i really encourage you to tune in for that that's next week on the connected leadership podcast i shall see you then thank you for listening to the connected leadership podcast If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.